0: Have you really I, I know I have, but I'm gonna ask you have you really been enjoying these, uh, this series through the book of Acts that we've been on the last few weeks? Man, I, I love the book of Acts. I really do. I love the book of Acts. I, I love the, the series that Pastor Ron has been preaching and, and it's really been speaking to me. It's a great series. I I, I love about the, the stories of the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, the church in action. I love the church. I love the book of Acts as we see the church grow and mature and, and people tune in to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and walk through their life empowered and anointed of God. And I love to read, I love to study about the early church, I love the church, I love His body, I love His bride. And this is where we find a place to believe, a place to belong, and it's a place to become. Where the Word of God is preached, where the Word of God is delivered, where the Word of God is rightly divided so we can, we have hope, we have, we know that we can believe in what's being proclaimed from the pulpit. It's a place to belong where each and every one of us find a place of fellowship and belonging, a home. You know, you're looking for a home. We all need a home. We all need a place where we can belong, a place where we can join with one another, our own companions, so to speak. But it's also a place to become, and we see that throughout the book of Acts. It's a place where each and every believer becomes who they're called to be. They walk into their destiny. And as a pastor, it's my heart's desire. It's one thing that I'm passionate about is see the church grow, see the church mature, to see each and every believer fulfill God's destiny, fulfill God's call upon their life. And, and we see that happening through the book of Acts. It's, it's, just, it's one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. We see the birth, the growth of the church, an infant church, learning to walk, learning to run, and to hear and obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. And we see the power and anointing that was upon that church. And I believe that when Jesus returns, He's returning for a mature church. Amen? I believe He's returning for a church that's mature, that's going to be walking in a greater dimension, a greater demonstration of power and anointing than what the church was birthed in. I thank God for that He birthed the church in a glorious outpouring of His Holy Spirit and of power and anointing. But I believe He's coming back for a mature church. A church that's walking in a greater demonstration of power and an anointing. And as you've heard Pastor Ron proclaim, don't believe what CNN tells you about the church. Don't believe what the world tells you about the body of Christ. The body of Christ is strong. The body of Christ is growing. Souls are being saved every day. The church is growing exponentially all around the world. The Spirit of God is moving. He's moving in our midst here in southeast Texas and around the world. The church of Jesus Christ is alive Amen. and well and healthy. Amen? Amen? Amen. So I'm not going to preach anything new. I'm not going to divert the river that Pastor Ron is going on, okay? I'm just going to kind of give you three, well, I titled this three undeniable truths, but three things that, that I've picked over the past few weeks that Pastor Ron has preached on that really spoke to me from the book of Acts. Because I don't want to divert this river. I don't want to take us off course then have Pastor Ron try to reel us back in, okay? So we're going to stay in the book of Acts. We're going to stay in Acts chapter 4 tonight. And we're going to talk about three undeniable truths. And these really spoke to me over the past few weeks. So I'm going to ask you, do you remember last week's message? How many of you were here last week? Uh Aha. Do you remember last week's message? Peter and John going to the temple to pray? You probably learned that song as a little wee one in, in nursery school, eh? Uh, Peter eh? Peter and John went to pray. <laughs> it just it comes out of me once in a while. I'm sorry. You know, they met a lame man on the way. You know, I'm not going to sing it to you, but you know what I'm talking about. Peter and John going to the temple about the ninth hour to pray. And there's this man. It says, as we read through Scripture, he's over 40 years old. He was born lame. Even from his mother's womb, he was born lame, it says that he was carried daily to this temple and laid at the gate called beautiful. And he would ask for alms. He would ask for alms. And, and I don't know when this began. I don't, you know, uh, how it began. Or, you know, if his buddies gathered around him someday and said, hey, you know, we got, a, I got an idea how we can make some money. Yeah. If, we, if you let us carry you to the temple where all those, you know, godly people are going, they'll feel sorry for you. And maybe, you know, you, help, you ask for the alms and we'll split it. We'll carry you there. We'll carry you back. I don't know how it began. I don't know. But he had been going and and had been carrying to this place for a long, long time. It it says in the Bible he'd been carried there daily asking for alms. But how many of you know one day everything changed? One day everything changed. Here comes Peter and John, and you know the story. We've we've discussed it over the past few weeks, but he sees Peter and John and he holds out his hand. He's asking for alms, for an offering, for a, a donation. And these famous lines of of Peter. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he says, rise up and walk. And he takes him by the hand. He he holds him up. And the man, he just begins jumping and leaping and praising God. And he's healed. He's delivered. He's set free. The man follows Peter and John into the temple. And they recognize this guy. They know this guy. They've seen him there for many years, perhaps. They've passed by him many, many times. Maybe they've handed him alms themselves. Maybe they've given to him. And here they see him now walking and leaping and praising God. And so this whole crowd gathers around him. And Peter seizes the opportunity to preach a great message. Preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lifts up the name of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The creator of all heaven and earth, the sea and all their sources. It says in the Bible about 5,000 men were saved that day. Wow. You think the religious leaders would have been excited, eh? Don't you think, eh? Come on. Man, we're gonna have the church grow. We're gonna have more people in here than we've ever had before now. You know, the word is gonna spread, but no. They weren't quite as excited about this name of Jesus as Peter and John were, as this lame man who had been healed was. They didn't really appreciate Peter's ministry. And as we discussed last week, Peter and John, they're locked up in prison and spend the night. And the next day, they're brought before the Sanhedrin court. And yet again, before the Sanhedrin court, Peter takes the opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to speak to you tonight about three of these undisputable, undeniable truths that I picked up as Pastor Ron was teaching throughout chapter 4. And number one, the first truth, there is power in the name of Jesus. Come on. There is power in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We sang about it. We sang about it just tonight. The power of the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Peter wants them to know. He, he declares to them, you know, you, you've brought us up here and you're, you're, you're judging us because of a good deed done to a man. But don't think it was me. Don't think it was John. Don't think it was anything in our power. He says in Acts uh, chapter 4 and verse 10, he says, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Amen? He says, Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. He wants them to know it's by the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name that every knee will bow and every tongue confesses, Lord. I want to tell you tonight, there's still power in the name of Jesus. There's still power in the name of Jesus. We're told in Hebrews. Chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's power in the name of Jesus when it's proclaimed from the lips of a born-again, born-again believer. There's power in the name of Jesus. Wow. You see, these leaders, these spiritual leaders, these religious leaders... They've seen this miracle take place. They've seen it in their midst, and they know who this Jesus is. They, I mean, they had just crucified him recently. And they'd, they'd heard about the miracles, signs, and wonders. They had sent people to spy out, spy out his ministry. They knew about the raising of Lazarus. They knew about the raising of the widow of Nain's son. They, they, they knew about raising Jairus' daughter. They knew about healing the lame and opening the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. They knew about him walking on water. And they thought they'd done away with all of that by crucifying him. And now here comes two of his disciples proclaiming salvation in no other name. Declaring that it's in the name of Jesus whom you crucified that this man stands before you whole. And they realize, holy smokes, guys, look at this. We thought we'd dealt with it, but no. His disciples are now using his name and in his name they're declaring that it's his name that made this lame man whole and we can't deny it it says in verse 16 here of acts chapter 4 what shall we do to these men for indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it they they recognize it they actually admit it it was a notable miracle Now, some of your versions may may use a different language there, but, I mean, you know, some will say a well-known, profound. But this miracle, this was not something that they could keep hidden. It wasn't something they could sweep under the rug. This lame man, he'd been laid at that gate for many, many years. Anybody who went to that temple would have walked by him and saw him for many, many years, possibly passed by him hundreds of times. And now there he is whole, standing, leaping, praising God, all because of faith in the name of Jesus. Church, there is power in the name of Jesus. And so this Sanhedrin court have gathered, and they, and they, they can't deny the miracle. It says says, this, this notable miracle has taken place, and it says, we cannot deny it. They couldn't sweep it under the rug, so they come up with this idea. Oh, no more preaching in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine the ridiculousness of that. Is that a word here, Pastor Ken? Ridiculousness? Is that only a Canadian word? it's It's a Canadian word? It's okay? It's okay? I mean it's ridiculous, isn't it? Forbidding to preach in the name of Jesus. When they know that it's the name of Jesus that has healed this man, that has set him free from his bondage, that has set him free from bondage that he was in all of his life. It's the name of Jesus. It's faith in that name that has set him free. But they come up with this genius idea, no more preaching in this name. It's fooliness to forbid them to preach or speak in the name of Jesus. But church, that's what vain religion does. That's what vain religion does. They want to protect their tradition. You know, it's like saying, well, we've never done it that way before. We've never used that name before in here. Oh, we've never done it that way before. You know, we've got to protect our tradition. We've got to protect the way we've been doing it for for hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years. And yet the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the name that is above every name, is really what all the law and the prophets pointed them to. so, all that pointed them to was to Him, to Jesus. Jesus faced this same issue when He healed a, a woman in Luke chapter 13. We won't turn there, but in Luke chapter 13, Jesus again is in a synagogue. And this woman, it says, who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years, bent over for 18 years. Jesus referred to her as a daughter of Abraham. And all eyes were upon him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. It was, it was, can you imagine? It's the Sabbath. Why not come to church and be healed on the Sabbath? Hey, why not? But the religious leaders, their eyes are upon him to see if he's going to do a work on the Sabbath. So he heals her, sets her free. He says, sets her free from Satan's bondage, this daughter of Abraham. And the religious leader of that synagogue rebukes him and says, there's six days to heal. Come and be healed on one of those. Well, Jesus, I I encourage you to read it in Luke chapter 13. Jesus doesn't mix his language. Calls him a hypocrite. A hypocrite. That's pretty strong. But that's, see, I, I told you I love the church. I love my Lord. I love my Savior. I love the church. But I hate religion. I hate religion. Because you see what religion does? Religion wanted to keep that woman in bondage. Religion wanted to keep her in bondage. Religion you know, religion says, don't use the name of Jesus. Faith in the name. No, no, no. See, religion wanted to keep her in bondage. She wanted to keep her broken and disabled, powerless and in fear. But there's power in the name of Jesus. And that power is still available today, church. That power is still available today. To those of us who believe in His name, there is power to heal, power to deliver, power to set free, power in the name of Jesus. Right. Number two, second undisputable truth, undeniable truth, is that Jesus changes lives. How many of you have experienced that here tonight? Jesus changes lives. You see, these religious leaders, this Sanhedrin court, looked at Peter and John, and they see that these are just a couple of good old boys from the Galilee, some fishermen, now, you have to understand that the Sanhedrin court, they, these religious leaders, they've been, they've been well-trained. They've been well-educated. They're the highest of the highest educated, well-trained men, religious leaders of their time. And they look at Peter and John, and they see a couple of guys that, you know, maybe they went to the Galilee Fishing Technical Institute. I don't know. But, but you know, they certainly weren't trained in, in, in the rabbinical priesthood. They weren't trained in things of the law. They weren't trained in spiritual matters like these Sanhedrin was. And so it says here in, in, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. See, there was something of a being with Jesus that just turned Peter and John into bold men of faith. It so says they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they they perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men. They knew that these guys, you know, they were fishermen. They'd be, and that was a good, honest way to make a living. They were hardworking guys. They were hardworking men. They were honest men. They were following in the footsteps of their fathers, and they were they were learning that trade and becoming honest, hardworking men. They, they, there was nothing wrong with who they were. There was nothing wrong with them being, being untrained and not educated. They were just hardworking guys. But there was something about them, something that made a difference. And it caused this highly educated group of the court to marvel. They marveled at them. And I, I looked up this word marvel. It means to wonder, to pause, to reflect, to give thought. To imagine. It made them wonder about this group, wonder about these two guys. It made them pause and take time to reflect because they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They saw the, the way that they spoke, the way they carried themselves, the way they handled themselves. So they pondered. That'd be a good Texas word, right? They pondered it. They pondered it for a while. They marveled at it, it says. They wondered. They gave thought. They reflected on it. And you know what? It says they came to one conclusion. After all their pondering, after all their marveling, after all their thought and that pausing to reflect on it, it says they marveled and they realized what they had been with Jesus. See, Jesus changes lives. Jesus makes a difference. Amen? Jesus changes lives. They marveled, they marveled at this. They pondered it, and they came to this one conclusion. Peter, had, John, had been with Jesus. It was about them, but it wasn't all about them because they had, been, they had been empowered and anointed by the Spirit of the living God that dwelt within them. They had been with Jesus, and their lives gave evidence to the fact that they had been with Jesus. And may I suggest tonight that the true measure of our faith is when our lives testify that we have been with Jesus. The true measure of our faith is when our lives testify that we have been with Jesus. Let it never be said, oh, you know what? Let it never be said to us, about us as individuals or about this church that we're just religious. I never want to be known as a religious person. I pray this church is never known as just another religious church down the street, down the block. Hey. Let it be known that we have been with Jesus, yeah. that our lives have been changed, dramatically changed, drastically changed. Man, I tell you a little story. One of the first churches Dana and I pastored was in a small town called Leader, Saskatchewan. And uh, we had been there, oh, a couple of weeks. And there was a senior's home that we would go to, and I would do some odd Sunday service on a senior's home. And they were having a Christmas banquet and, uh, and so I was asked to come and, and ask the prayer the blessing on the meal before the Christmas banquet, before, you know, as they served the food. And the whole ministerial association was there. I was a new guy on the block, so they said, you know, you get to, you get to ask the blessing. You have to say the prayer this, morning, this evening at the, at the banquet. And in that community, married to one of the game wardens, the conservation officers, was a, a lady that I had gone to high school with and graduated high school with. And she worked at the seniors' home. She was a special care aide at the seniors' home. So, you know, the place is all decorated, banquet nights, lights, Christmas thing going on and everything. And, and they quiet the people as the, as the seniors are ushered in and taking their places at the table. And the MC says, uh, and before we begin the meal, we're going to ask the Reverend Casey Sitter to come and ask the Lord's blessing on this meal. And from the back of the hall, I hear this snicker. And there's Carol says, well, it's not the case Sitter I went to school with, I bet, you know, it's like last thing he'd ever be is a minister. And back then, I still had some hair when it's probably recognizable from my high school days. And I get up from my chair and I walk up to the podium, and you could hear her do her very best to suck all the air out of the room. It was like, Phew! <laughs> <laughs> She couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe it. Now, that's not to testify of what I lived like as a high schooler, but it's to testify of what Jesus had done in my life. Testify that he brought me out of the miry clay, put my feet upon a rock. And it gave me a great opportunity to talk with her and share with her about what Jesus had done in my life. Let it never be said, let it never be thought of us that we're just got religious. Let it be known that we have been with Jesus that He has changed our lives. Let it be known that this church, and we serve the living God who hears and answers prayer, let it be known that we have been with Jesus. You see, Daniel 11.32, you'll hear this verse from me many times, but the second part of Daniel 11.32 says, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. But it's talking that in the word know is yada. And it talks about a personal relationship with God. How you know him from personal experience. Not just knowing about him. There's many people that know about God. They study. They go to seminaries. And they study and they know about God. But there's many who have never had a personal relationship through his son Jesus Christ. And it's those who know him personally those who know Him, like Peter and John, who can exercise the authority of the name of Jesus and that Jesus has changed our lives, then we can be strong and carry out great exploits. But there's a difference between knowing about Him and knowing Him. Amen? There's a big difference. As Pastor Ron goes through the book of Acts, we're going to get to Acts chapter 13, and I don't know how long that's going to take, but... There's a story in Acts chapter 13, seven sons of Sceva. You familiar with that? Seven sons of Sceva, and they tried to cast a demon out of a fella in the name of Jesus of whom Paul preaches. See, they had heard about Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. And if you study study those scriptures out, You'll find out that there's seven of them. Seven. And one man. And they go into this house to cast out this demon in the name of Jesus, of whom Paul preaches. And he answers as Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? And as you read the story, it says that he beat them. I mean, he hung a licking on those guys. And they ran out of the house. It says that they fled naked. Seven against one. And they're fleeing. I mean, I remember streaking in the 70s. No. Don't record that. I remember there was streaking in the 70s. I didn't do any of it. But, I mean, here you see these guys. You'd think that, I mean, there's seven sons... I mean, after the first one goes down and, and his clothes are ripped off, the second one, the third one, you think by the time you're number four, I'm getting out of here. I'm not going to run out. I'm not going you know, to lose my shorts for this guy. I'm getting out of here. You know? But no, all seven of them, it says, he took them down. He hung a licking on them, and they ran out naked. They fled naked. Oh, don't you wish that they had a personal... Don't you think they were thinking, man, I sure wish we knew more about this Jesus? Or do they think, I sure wish we knew this Jesus. Right. Hey? What is it that, that Paul can use his name? That, that, you know, Peter and John can use his name? And they get great results. We use the name of Jesus and we get our, you know, we get our butt kicked. There's a difference between knowing him and knowing about him. See, there's power in the name of Jesus. Jesus changes lives. See G- Peter and John 's lives had been revolutionized, revolutionized because of the time spent with Jesus. People knew they were not the same. they knew their lives had changed. these weren't the same old you know they were good guys, but these weren 't the same old fishermen that we knew years ago. They had heard his lessons of the kingdom, and what it meant to follow him. They had witnessed the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. They saw Him raise the dead, walking on the water, healing the lame, the blind, and the deaf. They, they watched Him feed the thousands with mere loaves and fishes. They'd seen him His tears in the Garden of Gethsemane. They watched Him die on the cross. But they saw Him in the power and glory of His resurrection. They knew Jesus. And Jesus had changed their lives. You see... The true measure of our faith is when others can tell we've been with Jesus. And if your life hasn't changed, I wonder if it's if just because you just know about Him. Or maybe you haven't fully surrendered to Him. But Jesus does change lives. Jesus changes lives. There's power in the name of Jesus. And Number three, this undeniable undisputable truth is that they gathered with other believers. I love the book of Acts because it, we see the birth of the church and the continuing growth and maturity of the church. As I, as I said earlier, I believe, you know, the, the church was birthed in a great demonstration of power and anointing, gifts of the Spirit. But Jesus is returning for a mature church. And I believe He's returning for a church that is going to be operating and is operating in a greater demonstration of power and anointing of salvation. Yes, we read the book of Acts and we see these miracles, signs, and wonders. But, you know, we, we live in a, in, a, in a society today that doesn't want to broadcast what's going on in the church, the miracles, signs, and wonders that are happening all over the world. But I want to encourage you, the church is alive and well. The church is alive and well. In verse 23 of Acts chapter 4, it says, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And I'd, li- I'd encourage you, take a highlighter, take a pen, circle those two words, own companions, highlight them, underline them, whatever you need to do. Being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. You see, they had people. They had people that they, they knew were of like faith. They had people that they called their own companions a place to believe, a place to belong, a place to become. It was the church, their own companions. The church is being established in these first few chapters of Acts, chapter of Acts. We see that the the church is being established. I love the church. I have a heart for the church, for every believer to grow and mature and to their fullest potential, to be all that God's called us to be. We are a living, breathing, divine organism. Well Paul put it this way in his letter to the Ephesians husband love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her see he gave himself for the church he died for the church Amen he died for the church Now let me let me throw this in for free Any young ladies here that are unmarried wanting to be married Come on be honest Dana and I use this scripture in our pre-marriage counseling. And you may not want to come to us. Because I'll be very plain and very simple. Very forthright, and she will too. That if the guy that you're dating, the guy that you're engaged to, if he's not willing to die for you, then he's not worth. he's not worthy of having you. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ was willing to die for the church. I'm just throwing this in for free tonight, okay? If somebody asks you for your hand in marriage, he's not willing to die for you, Brianna. He's not worthy of you. That's the honest truth. He's not worthy of you. See, Christ died for the church. He died for the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is what the precious blood of Jesus has done. He's cleansed us from all our sin. He's welcomed us into his family. called the church. It's a glorious church, a divine, living, breathing organism. In the, in the book of Acts, we see the, the birth of the church. We see the growth of the church. We see the maturity of the church. We see miracles, signs, and wonders being done. And then, you know what? We, we think about, oh, I wish we could go back to about. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit's being poured out upon us here right now today. Miracles, signs, and wonders. Each and every day, we get reports of God's miracle, healing, power. You know, these prayer requests that we get. We see God's hearing and answering prayer. See, they went to their own companions, their own companions. They gathered together with other believers, people of like faith, unity, strength, people who had been with them and had a personal relationship with Jesus. I mean, when you want somebody to pray for you, when you ask for prayer, when you need someone to agree with you, when you get to that place where you're asking for prayer, and you, don't you want someone who will pray in faith, someone who will believe that God hears and answers prayer? Isn't that when, when the rubber meets the road? You want someone who's going to stand in faith and, and pray, not you know not someone that's going to tell you, well, you know, I, you know, God made you sick for a reason. God God gave you this disease. God gave you this poverty. God gave you this. No, He's my Bible says He's redeemed me from the curse. Amen. Amen? I was so glad last August when I went in for surgery that I had people. I'm literally there was. We had friends here in Texas, you guys, and and people in Tennessee and California and all over Canada and different places around the world that were standing in faith, praying, and believing for me to come through that surgery healthy, strong, and wise. You know, yeah. hold. I mean, the doctors didn't give me a whole lot of hope. In fact, the morning, early in the morning of that of, of the day of the surgery, they showed me a, a video. They made me watch six CDs of how to care for an ostomy bag because said you're you're getting an ostomy. You're going to get a bag. I mean, there, there's very little hope of us being able to do a reconnect. But we have people praying, standing in faith. We were st- praying and standing in faith. How many know Jesus changes lives? I went into surgery. It was about six and a half hours long. The first thing I did when I woke up, I mean, I was still dozy, right? You know, and, but I reached down. And the nurse, nurse sees me, walks over to the bed and he says, no no bag, no bag, don't worry, no bag. And, and it's like, wow, thank you, Jesus. Yep. Later that day, and when I was in recovery, two of the three surgeons that were on that surgical team came in to see me. They wouldn't use the word miracle. But they said it was remarkable. <laughs> said we'd never seen anything like this. Absolutely remarkable how your body responded. And when we opened you up, we were able to… They, I mean, they cut about 12 inches of my sigmoid colon out and be able to do a reconnect. They fixed the holes in my bladder. They, they said it was absolutely remarkable, both of them. They didn't want to use the word miracle. They said, we've never seen anything like this. You obviously did, do have a God that, that answers prayer. And then the third surgeon came in the following day and said, you know, not only was your surgery so successful, every surgery we did now in that surgical suite, after we carbolized it, you know, they carbolize it after you've been in there, they, they uh, well, the term they, we use is carbolized, but, you know, they disinfect everything and they, and they you know, get it ready for the next surger- surgery. Said, so everything has just gone so smooth since you got in there. And, you know, keep, keep those people praying. It's making a difference. <laughs> Hey? That's you know, it's, it's, it's what happens when you have a family. That's what happens when you have a family. Last Sunday, we stood up here and we gathered around little Lily. Hmm? Beautiful young little girl. Going in for a heart procedure on Monday. Okay? Well, listen. Uh, this update came from Pastor Ken. Early Monday afternoon. Now, you've got to remember, we, we gathered around her. Pastor Ron anointed her with oil, and we prayed. And it wasn't a wishy-washy, well, Lord, if it be thy will, maybe you could, huh? If you're not too busy, maybe heal her. Or, you know, help the doctors do it right, you know, whatever. No, we prayed in faith, prayed the word of God over her, right? Well, here's the update that Pastor Ken sent us shortly, uh, you know, early in that afternoon. Update on Lily from Nicole. Lily is out of the cath lab and in recovery. We are waiting to see her now. They said it went perfectly. So then, we get another message from Katie here, update on Lily. I think this came the next morning. Because, you know, they're keeping her in there. They're watching her. They're testing her. They're doing some tests and stuff because they've just done this procedure on Monday. On this little sweetheart's heart. Update on Lily. They did EKGs, x ray, and echocardiograms, and it all looks good, so they're on their way home. Lily will need to take it easy for a couple of weeks, but she'll be good as new. Amen. Wow. Don't you know that God hears and answers prayer? Amen? He hears and answers prayer. It's about being in the family, about being part of the family, going to your own companions, those who are of like faith. Because we serve a God who hears and answers prayer. We believe together. We belong together. We become together. We connect with, to do, and to share life with. It's where you're loved, where you're accepted, where you're forgiven, where the past is the past and your, your greatest day is yet ahead. I mean, we believe that, we proclaim that, we declare that each and every week here that we want to connect with you, we want you to connect with us, but we do it for a reason because we know there's power and there's strength and unity when we come together. Well, I, I got to give you another testimony here. This is, this is from Sylvia and I, I'm going to read it as I, as I received it. This is uh, from Sylvia. She says, well, ladies, I went to St. Elizabeth's, Elizabeth's to visit with Helen Owens, but she had just been released to College Street Nursing Home. I was, as I was leaving, the nurse, nurse at St. E said, if you're going by, would you take these cards that came for her? So I took them and drove to the nursing home. When I entered the, her room, she was shuffling around on the bed, trying to get her head on the pillow. Her bed was about four feet, four feet or four inches off the floor. No, four inches to, to is inches, that's, wow, off the floor. So I knelt on the floor to talk and pray with her. She could not communicate, but somehow I think she could understand some of what I was saying. As I talked with her, I heard this gentle thought, sing hymns to her. I pushed the thought aside because I knew nothing about her background. I told her I had brought her cards from St. E's and would be glad to read them for her. I noticed one of the cards had a note, please read this card to Helen. So I opened and read the card, which was from her sister Evelyn. The note said, Helen, please come home to your family. We miss you. God is with you always. Do you remember when we went to church and we sang hymns? Boom, she says. I knew that gentle thought I had heard earlier had been the voice of the Holy Spirit. So I sang, great is thy faithfulness, blessed assurance, power in the blood. And for my finale, I sang, how great thou art. Ladies, I had my own little acapella concert right here. LOL. She got so quiet and listened to so closely, I asked her, do you remember that song? Do you remember this one? Just as clear, she said yes each time. I think she was a Baptist. It was a glorious experience for me, and hopefully it brought her a brief moment of his peace to her. Anyway, ladies, I thought you might enjoy hearing this testimony in light of our conversation at lunch. God is so good. God is so good. You see... Here's, here's a lady who, who heard the gentle voice of the Holy Spirit sing hymns to her. And then the Lord gave her that little nudge with a confirmation from that card. See, we, part of the body, part of His church, we need our own companions, don't we? We gather together with those who are of like faith, with others who believe, where we're loved, where we're accepted, where we're forgiven. And it's in that, theater of community, where we believe in the power in the name of Jesus, where we we believe that Jesus changes lives, that it's about relationship, not about vain religion. It's in the fellowship of the church, the body of Christ, that the Holy Spirit moves in amongst us. We're healed, we're delivered, we're set free, quickened by His Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. See, I I believe there's power in the name of Jesus. I believe that Jesus changes lives. But I also believe that He's not finished with, with anyone yet. We're told in Scripture, being confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Church, God's not finished with you. He's begun a good work, and He'll be faithful to complete it. Amen? Amen.